Hello, everyone, and welcome to Call Your Hits, a Stormriders Airsoft podcast. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Today, Pat and I are going to do another edition of This or That with Phil and Pat. But before we get to that, I want to take a second to talk about our Airsoft Injury Survey. If you're not aware of it, the Injury Survey is something we started about two weeks ago in an effort to collect as much data as possible about significant injuries and near misses that occur in Airsoft. You know, we like to think that Airsoft is a pretty safe sport. And if I think about it, you know, in the fact like over the last 16 years, I can count on one hand the number of real injuries I've sustained. You know, I've had lots of scrapes, bloody BBs, rolled ankles that, you know, I've shaken off or whatever. But true injuries that actually required me to seek treatment or take time off the game, I mean, that's been pretty rare, maybe once, maybe twice. And most of the ones I've had, I've done to myself at other stuff, which is hilarious. Well, yeah, there's that too, right? Um, but when you think about the risks that are associated with Airsoft, we often think of things that are related to the fact that we're shooting at each other with BBs, right? So the risks associated with high-powered guns, bloody BB hits, getting a BB stuck in your chin, broken teeth if you're not wearing eye pro, like that kind of stuff. And so... I mean, I think if you search like Airsoft injury on YouTube, you're probably going to get largely stuff that relates to like, oh, you should wear mesh masks on your lower face because getting shot in the face sucks. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> you know? And and that's that's what we think about when we think about Airsoft injuries. And so what we wanted to get a better understanding of was... When people do get hurt playing airsoft, how do they get hurt? Or, you know, when people narrowly avoid getting hurt, what is it that that, that happened and how did, how did they get out of it? And so the survey's been going on for about two weeks and, you know, we have you know several hundred responses at a time of recording and we're always looking to get more because the more data we get, the more accurate it's going to be. We're playing a rousing game of how bad are you at assessing the risks of your hobbies? <laughs> well, yeah. And I think it's important for people to, especially for airsofters, I mean, to really understand like what are the actual risks that are involved in playing airsoft and what does it look like to, you know, try and mitigate those risks? So we often think about, well, wearing face pro because, you know, getting shot in the face hurts or losing teeth is expensive. How often does stuff like that happen or how often is it prevented by wearing PPE versus how often does it happen that people hurt themselves doing other things like tripping and falling on the field and breaking bones or, uh, you know, impaling themselves on a rebar at the field they play at. And not that I'm suggesting that any of that has been reflected in the survey so far, but those are the kinds of things that we're trying to get a picture of because they really inform how safely you are you want to really proceed on the field right we hope those are some real outliers <laughs> like yeah totally <laughs> for all of our sakes and if you think about other actions that we take on the field that we sometimes think of as pretty safe like for example if you're defogging your 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 lenses and you're taking cover behind uh, you know a hard piece of something and you're looking around and you're not actively engaged and you wipe your goggles how risky is that actually right how often can people say oh well i was doing that and i got shot at so i almost had something bad happen but i didn't or you know hopefully no one says that they were doing that and they actually got shot in the eye because that would be absolutely horrible um, so we want to, we really want to talk and we really want to gather information about that and see. And so to that end, as I said just now, we want to collect as many responses as possible. So the link to the survey is in the description of this podcast, both on um, Spotify or Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts, as well as on the YouTube version of this. And we actually have now four versions of the survey, one in English, one in French, one in Spanish, and one in German. So if you happen to um, not speak English, obviously, if you're, you listen to this podcast, it's very likely that you speak English. But if you know people who don't speak English who or who would prefer to respond to the survey in their native tongue, and it happens to be one of those three other languages, feel free to share the survey with them. Again, the more responses we get, the better. So share it with your communities. And as a bit of a challenge, I would say uh, to you, if you're listening right now, the vast majority of our responses to this survey have been in Europe not in North America, which is what you might expect from, you know, a, a group of Canadian content creators with, you know, a large American population on their Discord server. The vast majority of our responses have been from Europe, well over 60%. So 
Um, that being said, if you're interested in uh, filling out the survey, we highly encourage you to do that. We would love to get your responses. It's completely anonymous. We don't collect any data about who you are. We only ask for your age group as well as your geographic continent. So not even the country you play in. Um, so completely anonymous, but we'd love to get your responses. So with all that said, let's uh, get on with the show and move on to the this or that. So uh, I'm going to start this week's uh, this or that. Uh, largely because none of you were going to believe that I, you know, uh, came up with this before I knew that we were going to have that piece uh, as the front piece for this, but believe it or not, I did. Uh, so I was going to ask Phil uh, if you would rather play in snowy, sort of icy conditions or in really rainy, muddy ones, because I know we've both done some of both, and arguably we're both past doing either at this point some days, but, uh, you know, we've both done that. <laughs> yeah, I think for me personally, I think I would probably pick snowy over like rainy and muddy. Um, mostly because I feel that we've spent a great portion of our year living with the cold, right? That's just a fact of life in Canada. And especially in Newfoundland where we've talked about this before, it's not exactly dry here in the winter, right? It <laughs> tends to be sloppy. And so it's something that I'm accustomed with and consequently, I have a fair amount of gear that is dedicated to keeping me warm and comfortable in cold conditions. You know, we have snowshoes that help us get around, um, all this kind of stuff. And I feel that when you play in muddy and rainy conditions, you really just get soaked, right? And it doesn't matter if you've got waterproof boots. Uh, water's getting in there eventually. Mud is getting in there eventually. Last year, my wife and I did a hike uh, on the west coast of the province, and it was really muddy, and it was really wet, and we were completely soaked. And then stuff chafes, and then you get blisters. Um, and that's not, not not to discount the fact, too, that when it gets really uh, wet and muddy and stuff, it makes it, you know, there's a chance that it reaches into your airsoft gun. Right? You think about, like, short circuits, all this kind of stuff. Like, it's just not good. And then when you get home, you got to clean all your gear, wipe it down so it doesn't get rusty. And with snow, that can obviously happen because snow melts, like, when it can contact with your, with your, with heat, with your body and stuff. But I find it's not as bad. Um... And we've played in the winter before, and you typically can get a good crowd out as well, right? When it's rainy, nobody wants to go out. So that's that long. That's the long version of my answer. The uh, the number of pictures of you that I have from days of airsoft, where you are just covered in mud and filth afterwards from going prone because you don't care, really yeah. would have made me expect the other answer. <laughs> well, that's a fair point, but you you sort of talked about it as well. Like we're kind of past that uh, in in a certain regard. And I think it's not that I won't get money. Obviously, I will. Like, if a situation demands it, like I, like you said, I really don't care. Like, you do what you got to do. Um, but I I think if, if I had to do one or the other, I would I would go with the cold, uh, snowy conditions rather than rather than the the muddy, wet ones. Yeah. I'm legit. What cold about you? is sort of normal here, I guess. Uh, for the same answer, I, honestly, yeah, no, I'm all about the cold. Uh, yeah. I don't like playing when it's icy. Uh, because I've seen, like, I think one video ever, but I've seen a video of a guy, like, going sort of uh, face first and snapping his airsoft gun in half, and that just terrifies me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and I'm not known for my uh, my grace on my feet. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say, too, like, playing at Frontline when it's snowy and icy can be pretty dicey because it has a lot of, let's call them field hazards, Um just in terms of like sharp pieces of cover or blah, blah, blah. But where we used to play at Redcliffe, especially like in the wooded area in the winter, like I think that would be totally yeah, that fine. Was... It would be no different than hiking in the woods, right? Yeah, I mean, we played a lot of games there with like a bit of snow down that were completely mm -hmm. fine. Uh, I think we played a couple yeah. with a lot of snow that were like, well, if you don't have snowshoes, this is going to be the worst experience, but otherwise you're probably okay. Uh, which mm -hmm. definitely creates a very different uh, airsoft experience. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, I guess maybe there are some airsofters who like cross over with winter biathlon shooting, but not very many. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love guys who are like, oh, you got to try night night airsoft. It's so different. It's so different. Yeah, try snowshoe airsoft and come back and talk to me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you you will have found new kinds of sore, we promise. That is not yeah, a normal gait. <laughs> yeah, try running in snowshoes. No, thanks. Um. So here's my question for you, and this, um, I tailored this one to you in particular. Oh, no. So <laughs> would you prefer 
to have to use a plate carrier, but with open top pouches, or a chest rig, but you had to keep the flaps closed. Oh, that's really annoying. Like you could open them to retrieve a mag, obviously, but yeah, you yeah, have yeah. To close them have back to, up. Yeah, I have to access my mags and then seal them again. Honestly, I think I'll go with the uh, I'll go with the chest rig. Um, it's so much lighter. It's just ridiculous. Uh, I'll probably regret that decision as soon as I need to like reload quietly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, just oh, a nice loud rip of Velcro every time I want to put a new mag in. Uh, mm -hmm. But like, man, maybe it's just the fact that. The Syrize was huge and my plate carrier just didn't fit right. Mm -hmm. But having gear that I'm comfortable playing in uh, is honestly a bigger deal. And like, partly I guess because of the sort of longer range role that I've played for the last couple of years in Airsoft, uh, I do a lot more uh, admin reloads anyway. Like a lot of my mm -hmm. reloading is just, oh yeah, I can put my head back behind this cover. Like I can take a second, not super super fast reloads so i don't feel like it would kill me in terms of performance on the field i mean as soon as you make me do this later in the year uh just to demonstrate that i'm wrong <coughs> which will work uh, i'm sure i'll end up with like one of them tucked so that i can access a set of them quickly uh mm -hmm. but i think that i'd only really need one yeah no i uh, i think that i'd still go with the chest rig it's just a better piece of kit for almost all of my needs uh, yeah. you know, if you find a plate carrier that comes in size ogre and is comfortable, I'll give the other option a run. <laughs> uh, but, uh, especially given just, you know, where I've got my plate carrier set up. Like if I had to change out the pouches for, uh, you know, M4 double stacks, I could manage it and not be too annoyed. <laughs> mm -hmm. Uh, trying to think if I'd have to take the mag pulls off of my mags to do that to get it to close properly that would certainly suck like that would be <laughs> extremely irritating um but you know I think most of the rest is manageable like I've played games with the Garand and reloaded the Garand and like I, I've I've done that with the Garand mags in my pockets and I mean they're not particularly ergonomic mags they're not particularly easy to get in and out of places in general <laughs> Um, so yeah, I think it's probably, probably doable to do it that way. And I definitely, uh, just hated the plate carrier. <laughs> yeah. i I kind of figured that'd be, that'd be your answer. I was like, how do I make the plate carrier seem, uh, more like utilitarian for Pat? And the only thing I could come up with was really like, just have it so that it's the only one that has open top pouches. Cause for the, you know, most of the games that we tend to play, we don't tend to use any sort of retention on our mags aside from the like elasticity of the pouches or something like that, because we want the quick access. We want the quick reloads, but to Pat's point, you know, it, it's really hard to overstate how important it is to have gear that is comfortable and um, just keeps you like in the game, like morally. And if you're, if you're just uncomfortable, that's no good, right? I, I mean, I have played a uh, enough games using a plate carrier that didn't fit that my ultimate solution was, Carew, let me try a real steel one, and I bought one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <for> sure. <laughs> like, you know, uh, I didn't look for other stuff. I tried a real steel one, went, this is exactly what I want, and just threw money at the problem until it went away, which isn't necessarily a wise play, but it worked out well in this case. <laughs> yeah, in this case in particular. And I think your chest rig is really nice. The one that, the, the tactical tailor that uh, that you have and that Cal had, um, really nice rigs, right? Um, oh yeah, it's super lube. Um, bomb proof, right? Yeah, just bomb -proof, fantastic yeah. quality. And like, again, this is sort of, you know, a real steel gear, you know, and like, I don't mean it to sound elitist, but like I've got real mag pouches on it and having used repro ones, like, yeah, you're getting, if you're buying a repro quarter or mag patch, you're probably getting a factory second or a factory third. So it's going to be a little bit less than good um, or a little bit less than perfect anyway. And uh, those were completely fine for a huge chunk of my Airsoft career. Um, mm -hmm. But I definitely prefer what I've got, um, you know, but like, I don't really think that I'd be super... Uh, upset about or like super stressed out if I had to take all well other than the actual doing all the work with the molly if you made me take all of my uh, pouches off and just replace them with like standard double mag shingles um, yeah. like the ones I ran on the Cyrus. I definitely like it'd slow me down uh, and it might slow me down so that I get killed a little more often <laughs> you know yeah but um, the 
like being friggin' uncomfortable all the time <laughs> when you're playing uh, and like having, if you're running even like a foam training plate, like having a foam planet training plate, like digging into parts of you that it's not supposed to dig into when you try to like crouch and bend over and stuff is really unpleasant. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I've spent uh, like one of the carriers I had definitely like rode up a bunch and like slammed into my throat when I take a knee or like bend down too much. So yeah, no fun. <laughs> Just a final thought on that one. I think I'd actually run a belt with, like, double M4 mag pouches on it before I'd run a play carrier again. <laughs> like, I'd actually pull the Johnny. You could also, you know, supplement your, your chest rig with that, right? So have your belt and have a couple mags in there and then your chest rig that you reload your, your belt from or whatever. Yeah, right? I mean, <laughs> I have single mag pouches that are just, you know, tacos on my belt that I use. So, like, yeah, that'd be actually probably more serviceable than the chest or the play carrier yeah. would be. Yeah, it's legit. Oh, God. Um, so, uh, you know, John and I are perpetually trying to get you to uh, join us in mad kit land, um, as you're aware, you know, mm -hmm. so historical kit land. So, uh, you know, real talk, are we closer to convincing you to do some sort of World War II kit with us um, that like matches to one of the ones John's done or, uh, you know, the one I've done or the one, I, one of the ones I'd like to do, uh, or to talking you into, uh, buying a FAMAS and doing the French foreign legion thing. Oh my God. Airsoft is cosplay kids. <laughs> I mean, it's such an, it's such an easy, easy answer. All you need to do is go and look at my like eBay search history. Um, and what you'll see in it most of the time is CCE camo lookups. Right. And CCE camo is the is the French uh, like woodland camo. Right. Which is the same camo that the uh, uh, Légion étrangère wears, the French Foreign Legion. So, yeah, no, I, I have absolutely not excluded uh, the possibility of of doing a uh, French Foreign Legion kit at all. Um, obviously, it would have to be pretty much at this point, if it was going to use a FAMAS, it would have to be historical not very old but certainly historical because most of the french foreign legion as far as i understand most of the french military has transitioned away from the famas and is now using the 416 um especially in their actual combat arms oh like, god am i gonna be able to convince you to buy a 416 <laughs> uh well i mean it would it would go really well with uh with the whole uh french foreign legion kit right so if i you look at their uh their whole gear profile which is called like the Finan system, like their helmets and their vests and all this kind of stuff. It's all, you know, Stanag, NATO, and it's all 416s. But the 416 that they use has like that really chunky stock. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, the one that's right. almost like diamond shaped on the back, yeah, it's which the, uh, I'm not fussy about. Yeah, it's the pre-A5 uh, stock. It's the same one that's on the uh, IAR that I've replaced yeah. because it's enormous. <laughs> and like, if I were firing real bullets, I'd probably appreciate the, the buffer on the recoil, but I'm not. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like, I mean, if, if real steel shooting, maybe, I don't know anything about real steel shooting, but I can, I know for airsoft, that would not be my preference. Uh, and they're not using like crane stocks or like uh, the the Magpul MOE stocks that we're using, obviously. So they're they're really either using that, and they still use the FAMAS as part of their training, but I don't think it's used in their actual uh, combat units at this time. Anyways, the point is to answer your question, I'm definitely more interested in doing that. I think you know the French Foreign Legion is just they're a very cool unit with a really cool history. Um, there's, there's, there's a lot to know about them. Uh, they've been around for hundreds of years. Um, you know, they've been in theaters all around the world, including in Mexico, uh, as well as in Africa. Um, and they just, they have a really cool history. Um, for those who are listening who might not know a whole lot about the French Legion, the French Foreign Legion, though essentially the way that it works is that anyone from any country anywhere can apply to join the legion and when you do if you're not french speaking they teach you french and they have an amazing actually uh, an amazing language program where you learn very useful basic french because everything is done in french uh, in a very short amount of time like i think like within six weeks like you've learned uh, i don't know like a handful of sentences and things that you can actually use immersive environments are pretty good for that too so <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but it's it's hard. Like it, it's. Um, oh yeah, definitely. They not, they uh, they certainly they certainly otherwise. see themselves as a as an elite unit, although they don't certainly operate that way. But it's the kind of thing where you basically give up your life for a minimum of five years to go join the legion. You're not going to have contact with your family. You're not going to have contact with your friends, and they also don't ask questions about where you came from. So historically, they would say, "Well, 
criminals and stuff join the join the legion but you know it's 2022 now and interpol is a thing so if you're like a legit criminal where you're like a murderer or you've been running drugs or all this kind of stuff they will find out who you are and they will not let you join because once you join you have the protection of the french government so if you're trying to escape some sort of like like history in your country people have talked about escaping to the legion before in reality now many people come from all around the world but also you have a lot of um french people who join because they're interested in joining the legion or they want to you know no questions asked and so they uh, pretend to be from different countries where they happen to speak french so there's a lot of legionnaires who are actually french but they join and they say they're from montreal canada for example um and they take a fake name and then off you go right and then eventually after you've done many years in the service um you can, you know, quote unquote, reclaim your identity. You can become a French citizen and so on and so forth. Point is really cool unit, really cool history. Um, and they are hard guys. Like they work, they do work. And anyways, I think they're just really cool. So I would absolutely do that before I, uh, before I did some sort of they're, historical. They're very interesting. Uh, we're, you know, a history podcast now, guys. So yeah. <laughs> buckle up. <laughs> uh, yeah, welcome to uh, forgotten weapons. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, I, uh, I pretty much knew the answer there because you've been a nerd for them for, I don't know, as long as I've known you. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much. But uh, I figured it would be a cool thing for you to talk about. And, you know, I know peer pressure uh, from John and I is worth something. (laughs) Yeah, I know for sure. Yeah. I actually met a Legionnaire once at our uh, martial arts dojo years and years and years ago uh, when we were doing kendo. Um, He was a guy, he was from, I think he was from um, Algeria, actually, originally. Anyways, and how he ended oh, yeah. up in Newfoundland, I mean, I don't know. I didn't know he was a legionnaire, but, but I remember the guy from Algeria. Because <laughs> yeah. well, we live in Newfoundland. <laughs> well, the, the reason that I know he was a legionnaire is because he, when we went to the change room or whatever, he had a towel and it had the legion's symbol on it, which is like a globe with the flame and stuff. Okay. And um, I was like, that's sort of a weird thing. And then like he took his shirt off or whatever and he had lots of legion tattoos on his like shoulders. And I was like, oh, well that certainly would do it. Um, <laughs> so we had a, we had a just conversation about that and that was kind of cool. Cause I didn't, I didn't even know he spoke French at the time until that happened. And oh, that's right. So yeah. Yeah. So anyways, uh, enough about the French foreign legion. Let me ask you a question now, Pat, if you had to choose, would you run only high caps or only low caps? And for clarity for low caps, I mean like real caps, like, 30, 30, 30 rounds. Uh, low caps. Really? Yeah. I mean, the Garand's maxing out at like 48, I think. So it's not hugely more. Uh, I mean, it's one of those things where I'd have to pick all of my mags up at the end of the game, every game, no matter the length of the game. Uh, and I think it would seriously impact my effectiveness for like some of the longer gameplay modes we've done. Um, you know, like the answer might change for a milsim. <laughs> if it was sort of like, oh, I'm going to be running around with this all day. Assuming a milsim would even let you run high caps well, to begin yeah, with. Yeah, fair. Um, that is true. But yeah, no, I uh, I hate the rattle. Uh, I have had to wind mags by hand in like recent, more recent memory than you have because of the uh, the cheap box mag that I've replaced on the scar with a better one. Or not the scar, sorry, mm-hmm. on the uh, 249 with a better one. Uh, and the, uh, the irritation level of having to hand wind a mag is a thing that you were honestly better off forgetting. Like it's terrible. <laughs> yeah. Jeez, um, I don't remember the last time I, w- I wound a high cap mag to be probably honest. probably would have been your bachelor party. And like, honestly, I don't think we'd have known the difference anyway, because those guns barely worked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was, uh. Uh, that was certainly something. I can literally yeah. throw BBs further than this. <laughs> yeah. But uh, that was some winter airsoft too at the time. Yeah, yeah. That was uh that was in March, so it was not not a warm day. Yeah, yeah, no, that was, you know, ankle deep in snow anyway. Wasn't like yeah. waist deep, which we've done. Ugh. But uh yeah. still pretty bad. But yeah, I uh as much as I like having enough ammunition. <laughs> Um, having to reload every 30 shots is genuinely less irritating. And like, at least I can just stuff mags in a backpack if I'm camping down somewhere and be like, I have 40 real caps. Yeah. 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 That's a fair point. (laughs) This is a terrible choice, but I'm going to rock it. (laughs) Um, I mean, I'm curious. What about you? Um, well, I mean, we all joke about how much I shoot. I think, um, 
I really, I, I'm with you on the on the rattling and the hand winding. Like that does not appeal to me. Um, however, I think part of the reason that I, I mean, I did have real caps for a while, and I did consider real capping some of my mid caps. Part of the reason that I didn't do that though is because it's really such a disadvantage. Like I'm spending a lot of time shooting because that's in my opinion, how you actually win airsoft by shooting and shooting a lot and gaining the initiative. <laughs> More BBs and that way, maneuvering please. on the field. <laughs> exactly, right? Yep, totally. And so consequently, you need to be able to shoot. And if you're limited to 30 rounds and your opponents are limited to, you know, infinite ammo in comparison, yep. that really is a huge uh, is a huge drawback. So as much as I would like to say I would use low caps for the games that we play, at frontline, especially because the sneaking aspect of the rattling around is not that big, right? We don't spend a whole lot of time yeah, sneaking true. around. <laughs> uh, I would probably have to go high caps. And in between um, games, like you can play the Morocco line. <laughs> yeah. But there's lots of opportunity in the firefights that we do to, to, you know, to wind and all this kind of, so I'd have to go high caps. I wouldn't like it, <laughs> but I think that's probably where I would, uh, where I'd end up. There, there will be suffering, but hey, at least it'll sort of work out. <laughs> Yeah. yeah on the flip side, I mean, using low caps may be how I cure myself of shooting quite that much. Um, but perhaps the solution is somewhere in the middle where I just have 60 rounds in a mag instead of like 150, right? Or whatever. I mean, I think but, at the end of the day, you know, what works, works. Like, you're not mm -hmm. overshooting people. That's not a complaint people have. Um, That's true, yeah. You know, like, you're, you're just very um, aggressive with the suppressing fire, I think, is really most of where that comes from and honestly that's a good thing like um my my takeaway is honestly that i need to up my fire volume you might need to lower yours a little maybe there's probably a happy medium between us somewhere yeah but, for sure you know and i think too you know we've talked about it before i think a lot of my like shooting muscle memory over the last like three years has been driven by underperformance on my airsoft guns in a variety of different ways uh the you know the the GNP mods that I had before, like it wasn't really great just from the air seal perspective and like the, the hop up and stuff that we were dealing with. And then the Mark 18 before that, the problem there was just the barrel was really short and I wasn't getting the kind of accuracy that I, that was really looking for. So as a consequence, I've really built up this muscle memory of shooting a lot because you know, you miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take. Right. So just, <laughs> uh, just cranking that trigger to get as many BBs on target as possible and hopefully get a hit. I'm really hoping that by transitioning to the new rifle that, you know, we've built, it's going to get us to get me to a point where I don't need to take as many shots and I can sort of rebuild a more appropriate memory of instead of firing seven or eight shots every time I need to take a shot, I'm taking two or three, right? Yeah, I think that'll work out. Um, I'm pretty optimistic. Yeah. But yeah, no, um, that's, you know, a sensible approach to it. <laughs> you know, it turns out we want mid caps. Hey, yeah. <laughs> surprise. Uh, so going to look at sort of uh, a, a sillier question here. Uh, so if you have to dedicate weight in your kit to uh, something you don't, that I know you don't think is particularly useful in Airsoft, uh, if I uh, were trying to convince you, would you pick a Claymore mine or a knife? And I don't mean like a... Uh, a training knife. I mean, like just having a knife on you because we do play in the woods much. Spoken like, spoken like the lunatic who carries a knife. And yeah, not a real claymore mine. Not a real claymore mine, like an airsoft claymore mine. Um, yeah, re not a real claymore mine. That's cruel. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, to be honest, thinking about it, I may actually go for the claymore. I know that the knife is is handy. It's a handy tool to have, no question, especially, again, given how much time we spend outdoors just by virtue of where we live. Um, having a knife is a great tool. And, uh, you know, to anyone who's listening, if you don't have a knife or some sort of multi-tool on your, on your kit or in your kit, so even in your bag or something, it's certainly something you should consider. I think we've talked about that before. It doesn't have to be like a $600 solution. Like Yeah, it really doesn't. <laughs> some, something that's largely inexpensive is will, will go a long way. But I think I would probably go with the Claymore because of the same sort of logic that the Airsoft grenades bring to the table, which is... It does something that nothing else on your kit can really do, right? So if you have a claymore, not that I've ever 
used any sort of airsoft landmine, although now I think about it, it might be a pretty cool idea, you can cover a particular sector, cover a particular avenue of approach um, without necessarily having to be there. And so in my mind right now, I'm thinking about a scenario where, you know, we are, let's say we're protecting the village and people are attacking from like that swamp bus field area, right? There are places there where you could plant a claymore and deny them an avenue of approach so that you can focus your fire elsewhere, yeah. right? 100%. Or you put the claymore somewhere really, really obvious that everyone is going to see it, so they avoid it, and then you funnel them into an area where you can easily hit them. Yeah, I mean, it forces people to go not that direction. <laughs> yeah, so if they see it just lying on the on the ground, especially if you've been like talking talking it up in the safe zone or whatever, and people see it, they're like, okay, so I don't know how to handle that right now. Like, am I going to shoot it with a BB or or what? Um, Maybe they just then decide to go right or left. And when they do that, you start swacking them because they're moving right into your line of fire. So th I think those are things that you can do potentially with the claymore that you can't really, well, firstly, you can't do that with a knife, number one. You're not <laughs> using that knife on anyone playing airsoft. We hope. Um, <laughs> so uh, it would be interesting to, to, to see that being used. I've never, ever seen uh, an airsoft mine being used effectively in airsoft. But... To be fair, I've only seen an airsoft mine once or twice in the 16 years that I've played. Yeah, they're definitely right? an uncommon piece of kit, uh, especially I don't like. I don't think anyone here has them. Could be proven wrong the next time I go play. Mm -hmm. But um, you know, yeah, it's it's a thing I've always been sort of intrigued by, as you know. Uh, <laughs> so I figured I'd sneak the nod to it in here. Uh, I'm a little surprised by the answer, honestly. Like. That is uh, more accommodating of that particular bad idea than you often are. <laughs> well, I think you have to think about it pragmatically, right? And force multipliers and things that allow you to do things on the field that no other piece of kit enables you to do or you can't replicate in, in another way. Um, especially stuff if it you know uh, impacts other people's psychology, like how they behave. That can be really, really interesting. Um, I'm not... Nowhere in that did I say it would be very effective, uh, or do I expect it to be extremely effective. I think it would be extremely, extremely situational, uh, unlike an airsoft grenade, which is basically universally useful. Yeah, and I mean, it's um, worth noting also that a lot of the stuff that you could do with the Claymore, unless you're buying one of the fairly expensive ones that actually has a remote with a clacker, yeah. uh, you can also just do by like running a string to a tornado impact and letting someone hit it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know yeah there, there are other versions of the surprise available <laughs> yeah absolutely um so my question for you now um is really you know again two options here would you prefer to play on a huge field with no option for any cqc focused entirely on like woodland movement woodland engagements or a tiny field that is basically CQC only. Uh, I think I, ha <clears throat> I have to pick the the woods one. Um, I'm like, I'll assume that we're talking about woods here, which is probably where you're going or like maybe some of where you're going because like pushing around the woods here, uh, we have really dense evergreens. We do not have uh, the kind of woods where you can go for a walk <laughs> uh, in mm -hmm. a chill way. Uh, so like that's a lot of work. Uh, but my kit is really poorly spec'd out for CQB. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, if it were a thing we did a whole ton of, then maybe my answer would be different, you know? Um, but, like, even accounting for the fact that, like, I can tune down the uh, the HPA setup to be CQB fieldable, uh, I'm still using a gigantic gun in really close quarters. Um, you know, basically none of my kit and really not a lot of my skill set is super useful there uh, i also actually really enjoy playing airsoft in the woods um my picking people out in camo skills are definitely not as good as i'd like them to be uh lack of practice i guess but uh it's rewarding uh for want of a better way to put it like i i enjoy the tension of sneaking around in the woods with an airsoft gun getting shot at by my friends uh so yeah no, pretty solidly on that one. Um, I guess the only uh, question I'd come back is like, you know, 
how huge is huge? You know, is this like a uh, 30 kilometer hike to start playing? Because that's eh, a bit more iffy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, I, when I think of a huge airsoft field, like for me, I really think about Redcliffe in its whole in its whole size. So not just where we typically have played in the past, we're looking like at the octagon and like the lower base, but like when we've had uh, operation games up at Redcliffe using, you know, the top base and the lower base and all points in between, to me, that's a, that's a large field, right? I mean, walking from, from one end of that field to the other, from the lower base to the top base is like, what, 20 minutes? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's a good couple of square kilometers worth of ter- dirt, right? Um, yeah. You know? No, I think those are great games. Um, I think that, uh, you know, we've, we had some occasions where we probably put objectives, like, too deep in the woods. <laughs> Definitely, uh, yeah. You know, but that's less a uh, issue of, like, oh, you know, uh, it's too much work to get in there, and more an issue of, where the hell is that? <laughs> you know, Yeah, I like, remember one, one game where... I had put the objective down for the game and I had given map coordinates and the team that I gave map coordinates, I think it was Johnny and uh, you guys actually, you were using different maps, Yep. right? And so you couldn't find the the objective I had put, put down because you were in the wrong place. Which right? is a good Milsim experience, I gotta say. <laughs> but yeah. Like, yeah, I suppose. Um, yeah, and you know, it's one of those things where, uh, you know, like I did... Uh, did like boy scouts and stuff so like my orienteering skills are rusty but they exist uh and Mm -hmm. certainly we've done games where it turned out that you know a lot of the players (laughs) didn't have any whatsoever uh and so it was like all right you need to read this map that's not a very good map really it's it's sort of an adequate map at best uh you know enjoy your treasure hunt and the person we're giving it to is like i don't know how to read a map at all (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah uh, so I'm going to go get lost in the woods. See ya. And I think that there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of positive to like that type of game. Um, but I also think that maybe, uh, you know, we've run enough variations on it that we've figured out some of the kinks that we can work out. Yeah, um, most definitely. And yeah, like, um, you know, I enjoy CQB. Uh, you know, I really enjoy playing village games at Frontline. Um, but especially over the last four or five years, uh, a lot of my, the appeal for that has just been, it's an excuse to use my pistol. Like, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I have a pistol. Ha ha. <laughs> um, you know, uh, it's also the situation where like my grenades get used. Because, yeah. you know, otherwise they're kind of dead weight because I'm, you know, usually not up in the thick of it. Uh, so I get to do stuff that I don't get to normally do. I get to use pieces of my kit that I don't normally get to use. And that's a lot of fun. Um, but, you know, I also recognize that, like, my kit is pretty poorly optimized for it, um, and is likely to continue to be pretty poorly optimized for it, unless I end up, Mm -hmm. you know, like, acquiring a short barrel length airsoft gun of some sort. Uh, you know. Yeah, no, that, that's, uh, that's a fair point. I kind of expected that answer, to be honest, uh, because firstly, I know how much you enjoy spending time in the woods, but also... That yeah you know, yeah we do CQC uh, you know on the village field and stuff like that but he he says that because I get lost most... in the woods whenever we play in the woods <laughs> but most of the engagements that we do actually most of the, the games that we play at Frontline tend to be CQC in some way shape or form if you really think about it um, right I mean those are engagement those engagement distances aren't super long uh, yeah I think totally. a lot of the fields like are long enough to allow my gear to do what it's meant to do um, you know which is pretty much what I'm here for. You know, like that's, yeah, that's enjoyable to me. Um, I'm guessing you're in the same sort of boat, really. Like your kid's a bit yeah. more door kicker. Yeah. I mean, I do, I do think that we're optimized for, or at least my kid is certainly optimized to do, be able to do both. Like if we had to do a larger Milsim, I'd have to bolt on some pieces to my kit. Uh, but for what we do at Frontline, it's like, it's ideal. And I have the longer rifle. So yeah, now maybe, you know, being indoors and stuff is not quite as good, but yeah, I I, you know, I do I do enjoy the the woodland play, but if I had to choose, uh, I would probably end up with the CQC. Um, but you know, I mean, one upside, one upside there for you is that like between us, we've also got so many grenades that like we don't have to go into, uh, you know, yeah, a building if we don't want yeah. to. <laughs> like, just yeah. eh, 
there are there are you know still on any given day four of us and that's like five or six grades. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. just let's just solve this problem the easy way <laughs> yeah that's right <laughs> uh Airsoft grenades. We enjoy them too much. <laughs> I did actually think about having a question here of like, oh, you know, like, um, if you, if I were to try to get you to like give up your grenade, but I can't really think of something other than your primary rifle <laughs> that I'd talk you into giving up for it. And like, I think that yeah. one's a little too silly. <laughs> you know, reasonable. And like, I think I could enjoy CQB enough that I'd like be able to build a kit for it. Um, you know, and I think if we were playing a whole lot of it at the moment, the first thing I'd do is just buy a, a 50 round Glock mag. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Be like, eh, I think this is a start. <laughs> the cool thing about outdoor games in a huge area is that it opens itself to different types of play that's a lot more strategic rather than just tactical, right? You can, there's, there's a lot you can do when you have, when you're given a lot of space. Um, challenge that we've always had is we've had the space, but not the players, right? So if you've got a huge area that's like 16 square kilometers or something like that, um, but you only have 10 players, what exactly are you going to do with that 16? Like, you're not going to utilize all of it or you're never going to see each other. Yeah, exactly. Right? So, and yeah. it definitely, you know, one of the things that I was saying from lessons we've learned doing stuff like that is you definitely have to set things up so that your players, if you have a relatively small number of players in a larger area, are going to the same parts of that large area. Um, mm -hmm. But speaking as a, player in that environment even knowing that the person running the game is doing that i'm still like oh yeah i'm like we have to go over there and i don't know where the other team is so i'm gonna sneak around and be quiet and probably you know get a nice little adrenaline rush when someone shoots a bb at my head <laughs> yeah um you know so it delivers a lot of what i'm here for uh in that regard and like playing it as uh a like the the leader of one of the forces, which is the thing I've done once or twice, um, you know, leans into some of my other hobbies as well. Um, but like running a like twenty guys in groups of four uh, from the middle of nowhere and trying to like figure out where they are based on bad radio descriptions is not a skill I possess, but it's really fun and interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <clears throat> you know, like it's uh, it is enjoyable. Mm -hmm. Um. So I guess kind of kind of pulling from that, um, and this isn't one I'd pre-prepared, but I think it's a cool question, so I'm going to ask it anyway. Uh, so if you had the choice between playing like a large um, field with a mixture of like sort of prepped environments, so like um, a couple of village-esque setups and on a larger area that you could sort of maneuver around and be more strategic in, uh, or doing like... Um, you know, airsoft, because I know this is a thing from watching people's videos, like airsoft printed out like on a boat or in like a, an abandoned school structure or something. Which would you pick? Um, I think I would pick the larger uh, the larger area with like prepared areas and stuff. Um, I do think there's a lot of cool factor to be able to being able to use a like a real quote unquote, like area of operation, like hospital or an abandoned, you know, jail or a boat or something like that. I think all that is really cool. But I also feel like those kinds of environment probably get pretty stale pretty quickly. And the reason I think is because these structures are not meant for play. They're just meant for to be a structure or they were a structure, right? Uh, to serve a particular purpose. So if you think about like, playing airsoft in like a shopping mall or an abandoned shopping mall or whatever. The purpose of that shopping mall wasn't to be an airsoft field. It was to be a shopping mall. And so consequently, you end up in an environment where um, real world police forces, for example, may operate. And that is highly dangerous, right? If you think about like SWAT teams and stuff, like oh, they yeah. train, you know, they do entry training all the time because they you don't want to fight inside structures. It's It's just not really great. It's not conducive to staying alive. Yeah, you're giving yourself and a very hard job. <laughs> totally. And so airsofters, I think, and I, we've all been there. I mean, I certainly have. I'm like daydreaming about playing in like an old abandoned building or hospital or like there, there's a, an abandoned hospital downtown St. John's. I'd be like, man, it'd be so cool to play airsoft in there. Hell yes. <laughs> I think it, it's con it would be conceptually cool, but I think it, that coolness factor would sort of die down very quickly and then turn into sort of 
the same sort of frustrations that we experience in CQC, which is, you know, getting shot up close, shooting people, and then not, and then sh- them shooting back at you, and now suddenly you're both hit, like that kind of situation. Yeah, oh, and I can and, see that being a real thing. And I think the amount of things that you can do in, like, if you think about playing on a boat, might be a super cool AO, but, like, the amount of things that you can do in that space is largely limited by this, the space itself, right? Whereas I feel, I mean, unless it's a, like, gigantic boat, like an aircraft carrier or something, yeah, right? Sure, but, um, I mean, that's like, hey, do you want your own private city to play in? Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think in a prepared area, in, a, like, a larger area, like, even at Frontline, for example, if you think about where the village is, and then, you know, you set up a second village, and then you, you know, you, you would expand the walls out of, the, the field walls, I mean, out a little bit, and in, incorporate more of that area, there's a lot you can do with that. There's a lot you can do from a scenario standpoint. Uh, you can run different types of games. You could run games that are more on the LARP side of things uh, with like uh, role-playing and with like uh, actors and so like we've tried to do before. Yeah, totally. Uh, or you can play games that are a bit more a bit more serious, but that you're sort of setting up in a particular way with like two multiple bases and you let them defend. Like there's a lot you can do with that kind of space. And I think that would lend to much better airsoft gameplay and much better long-term uh, sort of event planning and stuff like that. Because again, like if you get a boat and you get the opportunity to use that boat as much as you want, and I think we had that problem uh, playing, you know, at Redcliffe in the past where we sort of like, we're just focusing on the octagon and the rectangle structure and stuff. It's like, you've you've played it out. There's nothing else you can do with this space. Yeah, we, we right? have done every single thing you can do with this and we have all pretty much narrowed it down to there's a right answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly you can sort of solve it right like this is the best place to hold a corner this is the best place to attack don't go in through this way go in through that way all that kind of stuff whereas i feel like with a larger era ao that is uh has different avenues of approach like you have a lot more flexibility both as a player but also as an organizer to run different things so i think that's ultimately where where i would land on that one i think you you'd be not that i would never want to play in a cool ao like that but i think it, it would probably be like a one-trick pony for me for sure it's, it's sort of a uh, would you rather have which one would you rather have it's like well one for a community to like play in regularly and one to play a day of games in <laughs> yeah exactly you know and if we could travel for airsoft for example like the opportunity to go and like try some of those aos would be cool but it's not something i'd want to do every single every single day right? yeah, totally i'm i think i'm more or less in the same uh boat her her <laughs> um <laughs> you know admitting that like um playing inside of like uh the there's a school layout that got used here uh in all the schools in the province that were built between like 1970 and 1995 um so uh i've been a, t- a student in four or five of that building um and there are a bunch of abandoned ones around the province that like aren't getting used anymore and that would be wicked just because uh you know who hasn't dreamed about kicking in the door of one of the doors in their school as a kid (laughs) or a teacher Uh, i'm gonna get in trouble again aren't i (laughs) so listen i got uh, one final question for you oh god i'm doomed Um, (laughs) so last question for for the day would you rather be forced to stay and fight from one spot for an entire game or being able to fire only once before having to move to another piece of cover. Um, <laughs> so if it's a single trigger pull, uh, it's, it's rougher, but I still think firing and moving is a really good play. Um, the, uh, you know, the, this, the sitting in one place thing, I mean, I've, I've done a lot of it because uh, a lot of our games end up in a, yeah, we're going to put Pat up high because he's got a rifle that can do that. And let's, uh, let's work around that as sort of a base to move out from. Uh, but, you know, as effective as that is, if you're giving me a choice, yeah, I want to be able to move, uh, you know, like I take a enormous amount of fire uh, in a lot of those spots. I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's it is fun listening to the hundreds of rounds ping off of the outside of the structure or that I'm in or whatever. But um you know, shoot move is pretty much the basic language of the game. <laughs> um, you know, if if I can shoot like three or four shots and then go, then I'm completely sold. because uh, that's basically how I play anyway. <laughs> um 
Yeah, and I mean, I know this is sort of in some ways like a trick question because I can be too static. Um, because I'm like, well, you know, I can do the thing from here. Uh, but uh, especially over time as like we've uh, bounced between volumes of players on our team uh, who are attending any given like game or set of games regularly. Uh, you know, when you had like when it was just three of us, I had no choice, <laughs> right? Like three guys. Yeah, yeah. you're moving because you cannot stay still. Um, you know, and is it like, you know, three guys and then like four other guys on our team? Sure. I still can't stay still. Right. Um, because I can't really rely on four guys, even if they've been playing for a while to cover me in the way that I know my teammates can, you know, when we had like eight or 10 of us regularly at a game. Yeah. I don't need to move if I don't want to <laughs> like, yeah. you know, Pat, stay back here and anchor this. Okay. <laughs> no problem. Um, because I know that, you know, I'm covered, <laughs> yeah. right? But, like, as we've shrunk back down to sort of, you know, four or five Stormriders at a game most of the time, uh, I've had to go right back to, you know, like, I basically have to assume that people are trying to outflank me and may succeed, and I need to move around, and I need to not be static. Um, you know, the only real exception, I would say, is rocking the 249 is sort of, like, just, you know go prone on a corner and just put BBs in a direction and be like, no, you're going to go the other way. <laughs> I, yeah, I am not, really, hey. I am not the point of least resistance. Yeah, um, no kidding. You know, and that can be effective uh, and fun. Uh, but like, you know, uh, as much fun as I have with the 249, I definitely do run the, you know, the M27 most games. And before that I ran a long rifle most games and that's not going to change. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's that's uh, that's a fair point, and I, I you know, I, I definitely think, you know, yeah, you take a burst and then you move, you take a burst and then you move. That's something that I think in practice I'm going to try and do a lot more of this year in particular, because I find I know for myself like I'll get stuck in like these fifty fifty gunfights where like I'm shooting at them and then they're shooting at me and I'm like I'm going to shoot back at them and then they're going to shoot back at me and we're just going to keep doing that until one of us gets hit and really if you think about it like this is 50 50 right maybe they'll get me or maybe i'll get that and a lot of the time for me right? it's been worse than 50 50 because you know like my twitch reflexes aren't as good as a 16 year old's <laughs> mm -hmm. <Yeah>. oops you know uh, offset somewhat by the fact that my gun's usually a lot more accurate than the 16 year olds <laughs> yeah but yeah no i i think you're you're spot on right i think that basically Playing those 50-50 gunfights is a lot worse than, like, putting their head down and moving where you are. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, so, yeah, that's definitely the way last season uh, went for me, and I pretty much am sure it's the way this season's going to go. Yeah, legit. Well, guys, I hope you enjoyed this uh, this episode of uh, This or That. I, I hope you found it entertaining, if uh, if nothing else. As we always say, if you want to keep the conversation going, please go ahead and join us on the Discord. We've got a great multinational community of people there, um, there to talk about airsoft, you know, guns and gear and teching and all points in between. And we'd love to have you join. The link is in the description. You'll also find the link to the airsoft injury survey. If you haven't completed it, I highly would encourage you to do that and share it in your communities. As we said, the more responses we get, the better. But um, that's all we have for you this week. So until next time, we will talk to you later. Have a good week, guys. Join our Discord and convince Pat to buy Airsoft Claymore Mines. <laughs> Take care, everyone.